Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Massimo Bottura. Hi, this is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robin. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs on Heritage Radio. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Andrew Talks to Chefs. I'm your host, Andrew Friedman. And I'm Caitlin Friedman. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Oh, we're just cracking up because it's like our third take. We haven't managed to get past this. Like, I feel like Stanley Kubrick, like we haven't gotten past this point, but we're just going to power through now. But I do know my name, you Caitlin Friedman. Na- yes, but you usually don't introduce yourself. True that. Anyway, this is Andrew Talks to Chefs. Our guest this week is Dan Kluger of Loring Place Restaurant in New York City. And a lot of people may know Dan from his prior restaurant where he was collaborating with Jean-Georges von Richten, but Dan was really the executive chef of ABC Kitchen, which was known for its very vegetable-forward food. You're nodding enthusiastically. I did. I loved his menu. I yeah. love all those vegetables. I love the space. Yeah. I, I just His sensibility with is great. That space was kind of a... Would you call it a, it was kind of a feminine, those ABC restaurants, like ABC V, which is the uh, really vegetarian now, the truly one, it's, it looks a little like anthropology. It has that kind of sensibility. It's kind of girly. I like it. It's a little girly. Yeah. But the food was phenomenal. And Dan now has Loring Place. And Dan also, we're sitting here in our living room in Hastings on Hudson, New York, which is about... 32 minutes by express train from Grand Central Station, about 18 miles from Midtown Manhattan. And Dan is one of these chefs who lives up in the burbs near us now. Jonathan Benno lives near us, the former chef of Per Se and Lincoln. And uh, Ivan Orkin of Ivan Ramen lives one village over from us. And Dan lives up here and he came by the house and did the interview right where we're sitting here. Wait, what do you mean he did the interview here? (laughs) Didn't I tell you that? No, I thought you guys met at the restaurant. He was here. He was right at this table. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you clean? Did you clean up? I swear to God. Did I not tell you that? It was on Instagram. There was a picture. Well, Well, you don't go on Instagram. I'm busy. Wow, he was here. That's so embarrassing. he was right here. Okay. Well, it's only embarrassing for me if a chef comes over, if they see, like, go in our refrigerator or- That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he didn't go in our fridge. All right. Well, still. Okay. Thanks for telling me. (laughs) Um, anyway, the interview was conducted here. It's a wonderful interview. I think we'll keep the intro short this week as penance for last two weeks. I do want to mention, though, if you all go to my blog, Tokeland, which is tokeland.com, T-O-Q-U-E-L-A-N-D.com, there is a feature there called Clocking Out, which ran last Friday. 
And one of the things I talked about was this movie, Knife Skills, which is nominated for Best Documentary Short. It's an amazingly moving film about a restaurant that was uh, opened a couple of years ago in Cleveland, Ohio, staffed entirely by ex-cons, front of the house and back of the house. It's a combination restaurant, hospitality school. They trained all these people in record time, and the guy who started the restaurant is himself someone who had done time, and I guess you could say wanted to pay it forward. And just before we recorded this intro, I got an email from one of the producers, because I've heard from these guys, because I wrote this love letter to them on my blog, uh, and finally, this thing is not in theatrical-wide release yet, but it is now available on iTunes. And I would highly recommend, I think it's two ninety nine to download this 40-minute um, short documentary that is nominated for Best Documentary Short. Again, it's called Knife Skills. It will move you. It will crack you up in a few very well-chosen places. If you are someone who's in the industry, which I know a lot of our listeners are, I just can't recommend it highly enough. I think it really at a time when the industry rightfully for the people involved is being criticized. Uh, This is a reminder of how many good people there are in the industry. And I think a reminder of how generous and special this business can be because it, it does give a lot of people a home who have nowhere else where they function. Well, this is something we've talked about with a number of guests, most recently Curtis stone who did the chrysalis program at his restaurants uh, in Los Angeles. So that's all I'll say about that. But I highly recommend Knife Skills available on iTunes now. And with that, I think I'm going to simply introduce Dan Kluger and the interview that we taped to your chagrin. I cleaned up. I believe you. I I'm did. also so proud that we kept this intro so short. Yeah, but well, let's stop there though. Let's okay, not start right. patting ourselves on the back. Because we can talk about how short we kept it yes. for a really long time. <laughs> All right, with that, everybody, here is my interview with Chef Dan Kluger, recorded right here in my home, our home, to my wife's everlasting dismay. I hope you enjoy it. So... Uh, well, first of all, I've never done an interview in my home. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> thought this is how you normally do. No, it. <laughs> and I think you and I have only met once. I don't yeah. even know if you remember. A million years ago, we were at. I was at a. Um, it was some benefit. I don't even remember what it was for. And I was there with Alfred Portali. Yeah. Okay. And I told. I introduced myself to you as his collaborator, and you fixed a little pasta for me. And, and uh, said, you know, take this over to Alfred. I don't know if you remember that. God, I can't remember. Yeah, it was a long... I can't even remember where it was. It was some random event. Huh. Anyway, but I think that's the only time we've met. Maybe it was a Star Chefs thing Could years ago. Could have been something ago. like that. Yeah, so I think the I second floor I... of some space. You were sort of in the far yep. corner of the room. Yep, I think it's the only time I've ever done a, a pasta. That's how Okay, kind of... yeah, no, it was definitely... It was delicious. <laughs> uh, my portion was smaller than his. <laughs> I had a non-VIP portion before I introduced myself. So, um Dan, first of all, we're sitting up here in Westchester. This is always surreal to me. There's a lot of chefs who are migrating up here, but professionally are staying put in the city. What's it like for you to have a a commute of this nature? 
You know, I think the the commute can really suck. Uh-huh. Uh, at the same token, um, even living in Brooklyn, you know, the train was forty five minutes. Yes, and that was, was still, where you were most recently. Yeah, okay. yeah. Before this was Brooklyn Park yeah. Slope, and and I loved it, yeah. and I loved, um, you know, in reality, how close it was to the city. I mean, seven miles at most. Right. Um, but if I did drive in for some reason, it was still forty five minutes. Yes. Um, and the train was thirty five, forty five minutes, sometimes yeah. more, depending on what was going on. Yeah. And uh, what I've found with this is um, I can make phone calls yeah. on the way in. Yeah. I make phone calls on the way home sometimes, much yes. later at night. Coming yeah. home is very easy. Yes. I got into Audible books, and I've been like uh-huh. reading books that I never would have read before in my yeah. life. Um, so I've actually really kind of started to enjoy the commute, as, as tough as it can be. Right. Um, you make use of that time in a way that you didn't have time to make use of exactly, before. Exactly. Yeah. You know, really making use of the time and... and Especially coming home as as tired as you can be, it's like pulling to that driveway and I'm yeah. in a sanctuary. You know, right. I mean, yeah. really, I have essentially one neighbor by me, and yeah. I have plenty of room, and and it's it's slowly becoming a, a sanctuary. Yeah. So you, I find your career very interesting because not to you know spoil like a spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> but you, um, you know, most of your career, you, not not every minute of it. And your life has been New York City. I mean, you're a real New Yorker. You're a New York cook. Your 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 life has really played out. Yeah. Uh, about 18 miles south of where you and I are sitting <laughs> yeah. right now, give or take. Yeah. Um, what what was your what was your childhood like in New York? What part of the city did you grow up in? And what was that like for you? I grew up uh, on the Upper West Side. Uh huh. Um, in a huge complex of buildings that. Um, you know, kind of in some respects was, I guess, the equivalent to a gated community. You know, uh-huh. we had backyards and um, play areas and things like that. Backyards, like sort of a courtyard, like yeah, between the yeah, buildings or yeah, the towers. Yeah. Right. So it was sort of like an enclave. Yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, this set of buildings is 66 to 70th Street mm-hmm. on the west side. Okay. Um, and so there was literally a 66 to 69th backyard. Wow, you know, I mean, almost three blocks yeah. long. Rare thing in the in New York in New for York. people so, who don't know New York. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, I'd go to another friend's house, you know, ten blocks away that didn't have it. I was like, well, do we go to Riverside Park? Right. Go to Central Park? You know, I, I didn't I didn't do that as much because yeah. I, I had this backyard. Yeah. Um, went to a very small school on the Upper West Side. Um, graduated with I think fourteen other people. Wow. Um, so totally different than I think. Um, you know, certainly that my kids are growing up with. You had a, a very unique New York experience. Yeah, I think so. What uh, what kind of kid were you? Were you like, were you a jock? Were you uh, into, no. were you a good student? And I was average student, yeah. you know, um, kind of just an average kid. Yeah. Um, and at a, at a young age, I think I started to be interested in, in, Baking more so than cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom did a lot of baking. My father loved to cook. Um, our friends opened a bakery on the Upper West Side, and oh, really? I mean, at, at probably eight or nine years old, I would go on the weekends and, and bake cookies and really? croissants and things like that. And it certainly wasn't like this love. I, I wasn't, you know, saying this is what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. But I, I got used to that that labor, you yeah. know, and and. Um, being in a kitchen, um, and again, you know, always, always sat down to a home cooked meal. Yeah, uh, I didn't really grow up going out to eat. Okay, so, so restaurants weren't a feature of your not life. much, and but it, food was food was, um, but again, not you know, not uh, you know, I don't think we were sitting down to um, 
you know, filet mignon and prime yeah. rib and things. It was it was more London broil and, mm-hmm. and popovers. Yeah. Um, but you know, everything was was made from scratch. Yeah. And, and um, you know, not bags of frozen peas and things like so that. So you were sort of conditioned for a certain level of. I guess integrity, quality. I think so. And, Maybe and you didn't call it that, but you just sort of that was your baseline. I think just more this this idea of you know nothing coming from a package. Yeah. Um, for the most part. Yeah. Um, my parents definitely uh, again they were both into cooking, and I know they did some crazy dinner parties where they would you know uh, do a whole bunch of stuff from. Um, Something of the of the lines of Escoffier. I mean, like oh, cra- really? crazy French food. Mm-hmm. That, Were they know, travelers? Did you guys take like no, culinary trips or anything no, like that? No, no. My mom's um, from England, and so we certainly spent a lot of time over there. And, yeah. and um, my father was in the army and traveled when he was in the army. But right again, I don't think he he never would have said, well, you know, the best. Uh, Wiener Schnitzel in Germany was this, right. or the best. Right, you know, right. There's nothing like that. that yeah. Um, but I, I think you know he exposed himself to a sure. lot of those kind of things. So what did you what did you originally think you were going to do with yourself professionally? Um, like when you were growing up, what was sort of your sense of where you were headed? You know, I, I I'm not really sure. I um, I had at one point thought about things like architecture, architecture and engineering. Um, I was always into you know fiddling around with building things, mm-hmm. electrical things. Yeah. Uh, you know. If if a lamp was broken in the house, we fixed it. Right. Um, if the remote control car stopped working, I took it apart and got it working again. Really. Um, so I was always very into those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and I went off to Syracuse and um, thought maybe I would do again maybe architecture. Then realized that that program was too much and didn't want to do it. Too much because it was of like the, really how intense. consuming it was. Yeah. 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 I sort of tried to date an architecture student when I was in college <laughs> and it lasted about uh, 10 minutes because she was always in the lab. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. like th- those people are in their own world. Yeah. I ended up with a, a roommate, I think my junior year, um, we had a house together and she was an architecture student and, and I was working with her on a project, which we'll probably talk about later. And I was like, this is crazy. I, I could have never done this. Yeah. Um, so I, I was into the the idea of that. That faded away quickly. Um, long story short, I started to think about um, physical therapy. I was very into really? that. What was the appeal of physical therapy? So the, the the part of my childhood and part of my life that I never really think that much about was I was a gymnast from um, six years old all the way through college. Went to really? scholarship. Went to Syracuse on scholarship. Gymnasts like parallel bars and... <laughs> And all that stuff, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, now now that I'm like a hundred pounds heavier, I've kind of forgotten all of that. <laughs> um, but because of that, I was yeah. always at training camps and things like that, and I was always intrigued by physical therapy and um, the you know, obviously the football program, lacrosse program, basketball yeah. at Syracuse is incredible. And I spent a lot of time um, in the training room with those guys and and really kind of was drawn to it. Um, but they don't have an undergraduate program. They have a graduate program, which is right. again is exceptional. So um, I don't know if it was an advisor or whoever said, "Oh, well, you should you should become a nutrition major." Yeah, or that was one of the directions because you'll take nutrition, anatomy, anatomy and physiology, uh, chemistry, all these things that are prerequisites to become mm-hmm. part of the graduate program. So I took the um, started taking some of these classes and. Uh, took nutrition, which was very interesting. Took a food science class, which I loved, which was like 
cooking slash the science of everything. Yeah. Um, and I just started to take a few more classes as I went in this program and uh, really kind of started to become intrigued by it. And then somebody said, well, you should maybe consider the restaurant management program. I said, ah, I'm not, not going to get into restaurants. No, 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 that, mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense. And now, management, they were thinking front of the house. Front of the house. And so um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a Cornell-style program. It was yeah. just it was a, certainly a degree that you could get was restaurant management. Hospitality, I think they were called. But it was sort of like nuts and bolts, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and certainly, um, I think it was, it was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't of the caliber of, of yeah, Cornell. Yeah, sure. Um, but one of the professors who was actually a graduate of Cornell, um, who was like the hardcore, hard-ass professor that everybody was afraid of, yes. um, I took one of his classes, and I was like, hmm, this guy's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I decided to take the next class, which everybody's like, you're going to fail. Yeah. Everybody fails. Yeah. No reason. And of course, I all of a sudden went from being like a, a C student to an A student, and I, you know, aced his class. And then we became very friendly, and I started to get very involved in extracurricular things through this program. Yeah. Um, but I was still very intrigued by the nutrition, and so sort of created my own um, major where it was um, a dual in nutrition and uh, food service management. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a very Amazing character, um, Leon Jeanette, who um, his first wife, I think, had passed away, and his children went to Syracuse as well, and he had the Jeanette Auditorium. Okay. And through the Jeanette Auditorium, he had a lecture series, and it was retail and hospitality aligned. So um, Tommy Hilfiger, the CEO of Macy's, the wow. CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond, wow. Charlie Palmer, uh, David Boulay, um, I think who else but the main person that that was important for me was Danny Meyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Leon said, we, were, we always did a lunch for the guest. Yes, sure. So Leon said, I want you to sit with Danny. I'm like, oh, you know, I, I, I got to work it. I'm a yeah. student. He said, no, no, we're going to make you sit. Now at that point, what year are we, can I ask? That would have been um, my junior year. So what year, I mean, 19... Uh, 1993? Okay, so that is... Right around when Gramercy was about to open, I think they had maybe it was ninety four. I think they had just opened. Just opened. So Danny was already a huge ten yes. years in the bag on Union Square, which yes. was a revolutionary restaurant in its own way, yeah. m- mostly for the hospitality, but also yes. for the food. Yeah. Um, and then and about to open what some people thought would maybe it ended up not being a four star restaurant, but yeah. a, very famously there was a cover of New York Magazine that had yeah. four stars because that was the anticipation that yeah. maybe this was going to be the American four-star restaurant yeah. that hadn't happened yet. Yeah. So that's, he was, you yeah. were aware of him. Yeah, to- okay. totally aware of him. Yeah. Um, obviously not not of the level that I think um, anybody living in New York sure. and dining out would have sure. been. Um, you know, I was obviously secluded in, sure. in Syracuse. Um, and certainly not of the level that anybody today would sure. be aware of. Him. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was very exciting, and I was excited to have the opportunity to sit with him and yeah. talk to him. Um, and I showed him around the campus and uh, had a very nice nice time with him. Took him over to the Carrier Dome, which was the huge yeah. uh, stadium, and walked in and welcomed Danny Meyer in lights, uh, which kind of blew his mind. Um, and he, you know, he's obviously a sports fanatic, so yeah. I think it was a, a fun thing. Anyway, um, followed up with him to do a summer internship. Um, so that summer I went to Union Square Cafe, uh, his managing partner, this guy, uh, Paul Bowlesbeth, yeah, was sure. amazing. 
um, and started that, I guess, 94, 95, somewhere in there. Um, but not in a kitchen capacity. Not in a kitchen. I, Were you I, entertaining? I spent, a, I spent a couple of days in the kitchen just as an intern, see what yeah. was going on. But I was doing you know, inventory stuff, uh, host reservations, some accounting, like very just, they were great about showing me all sorts of different things. Did you, you don't seem to me, um, uh, you don't seem like a front of house guy to me. It doesn't seem to me like that's where you would flourish. Did you enjoy doing that? I did. And, and it's funny that you say that because I actually, after I graduated, I went back to work in the front of the house at Union Square Cafe. Uh-huh. And you um, enjoyed that? I did enjoy it. But, you know, they said, um, essentially, you know, be a host, probably maitre d', whatever it is. You're yeah. going to work for a year and a half, and then we'll look at maybe making you a manager. Mm-hmm. And you know, something really kind of stood out as well. I went to school for management. If I'm not doing anything with this degree, right? And I got to wait <laughs> an, a year and a half to two years, and maybe become a manager. What's what's the point? Yeah. Um, but I was very content being a host. I, I I enjoyed it. I actually do. Um, I find myself very much involved in front of the house and mm-hmm. I understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I, I take that part of the hospitality very importantly in terms uh-huh. of my business. And you enjoyed talking to guests yep. and that was all comfortable for you. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I mean, certainly as a young kid, it was harder, but I, I enjoyed, yeah. you know, that, that Danny mentality of, of really um, trying to take care of people and make, make them feel very comforting, mm-hmm. uh, comforted it was important to me. And, and, you know, even at a young age, it was, I remember somebody coming in and saying something about, you know, having to go out to feed the meter. Could they borrow some, could they get some quarters or whatever? So where's your car? I'll go feed the meter. For right. You. Like that was a Danny thing. Yes. I'll go buy a newspaper. Yeah. For you. And I, and I want the same thing from my staff today. Yeah. Um, it's hard for people today to understand because there are people now who have made mm-hmm. such a study of what hospitality is yeah. and taken it to the, the next level. Um, how, how revolutionary that was yes. in some ways. When it was very he, when genuine. When they started doing that. Yeah, genuine, but yeah. also what a big deal that was and how special it made people feel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, there were, there were friends that I made through that that, um, you know, became amazing people in my life yeah. because of this quick right. one-off relationship. Yeah. And I'd see them, you know, years later. Yeah. They would, they would come to the next restaurant and so on yes. and so forth. So I started in the in the front of the house, um, and I was going along that journey to kind of see what would happen. Um, but I knew that probably even if I became a manager, and I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do, at some point I wanted to own a restaurant. I knew mm-hmm. that was what I think I was starting to get that bug. I wanted to own something. I wanted to create something. How early on did you start to think like that? I, th- I think, honestly, through that senior year, yeah. um, we had to do a project, and that's what I was saying about the architecture roommate. We had to do a project where we created a restaurant. Yeah. Um, much like you do at CIA. Yeah. Um, but ours was very much about, less about the food and very much about numbers and all the operational things. Um, and even design, because we'd done some design stuff. So I had helped my roommate with a project she did, and now she's helped me with mine. And yeah. we really did architectural drawings for this restaurant. So you, like, knocked it out of the park? Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we had to go find a space, a yeah. real space. Uh-huh. It didn't have to be for sale or right. for rent, but we had to find a space that would work. For the purposes of being able to show people what you envision exactly. doing with it, with renderings or yep. sketches yep. or whatever. Yep. Oh, that's great. And so we created this thing, and it was called The Crossings, and it was in a railroad house. Uh-huh. Um, now, what was the food going to be like at this restaurant it, that you created was... before you had decided to be a chef? Is there Was there any sort of... Uh, uh, prescience there? It was very 1995. Okay. I mean, it was, uh, you know, 
Bobby Flay meets um, Union Square Cafe meets Oriole meets. I mean, it was, it. it was everything that I was like starting to get uh, acquainted to through okay. this process. Okay. Um, and and it was you know the red pepper coulis and right. Uh, you look at the menu, and it's literally 1995. Something two ways or something. It's, yeah, definitely two Some ways. Kind of two ways. Dot, dots. Right. <laughs> flourless chocolate cake with raspberry coulis. Blue cornmeal. Yeah. And then we, when we finished the project, we actually had to um, present it and cook the food and everything. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I, I can picture today the flourless chocolate cake with the raspberry coulis, coulis with um, I think chocolate sauce as like a checkerboard. Wow. And, I mean. What did, what did I know? Yeah. Um, so I, I knew that, or I believed at that time that I would want to open a restaurant. I would want to own something. Um, and so I said to myself as I was working at Union Square Cafe, I, I should learn a little bit about the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I should understand what's going on so I know what the chef is talking about when I hire a chef. Right. And so I started spending some, some days off in the kitchen. Um, and within a few weeks, I, I really started to catch this bug of, this is pretty cool back here. I like it. What drew you to it? I, I think the, the pace, um, again, as I said earlier, I, I always liked working my hands. I always liked being creative. Yeah. Um, and so while I wasn't fixing something, I was, I was making something. Um, and I mean, you know, they had me just doing basic stuff. I, I was helping make prep stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was very basic, but I, I enjoyed it. But even it. that you enjoyed. I enjoyed you it. You didn't mind the repetition? No, no. There, there's a phrase that comes up so often in interviews I've done with chefs uh, that when they talk about when they were younger, I loved working with my hands. Mm. That exact phrasing. What, what, do you even have a, an insight into what that is for people? It's, it's amazing. I'm sure you've talked about it with other people. Who, I mean, it's, it's amazing how often that exact phrase comes yeah. up. I, I don't know. I, I think obviously there's a there's a level of creativity. Yeah. Um I think you know a lot of chefs are gonna have the creative gene, they're gonna have this this bug for, for being busy. Yes. Um they they have the interest in kind of working, yeah, heavy lifting, sweating, all of yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. Um I don't. I don't know why it's it's so common. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, at at a young age, I was building things. Yeah. Um, when I got my first apartment, I built a wine rack. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, all these things were crappy, but it wasn't to a, a level of being really proud of it. You but I got sell to, it. No, but right. I got. To but you got build the satisfaction something. of. Doing yeah. it, and and now today, I mean that that's one of the reasons why I love owning a home. I'm constantly building. Things. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just finished building b- built-in bookshelves for yeah. the all the cookbooks. Right. And building a desk and making yeah. an office. Yeah. And I mean, I like I like that making stuff. Yeah, I like seeing something start to finish. And, right. And again, I think and and it shows very much with with the food is, I, I think our food is meant to be good, flavorful, fun, simple. Yes. There is there is a very simple level of finesse. Yeah. And I look at the things I build, and it's sort of the same thing. Like, it's not, you know, I don't have the best equipment. I'm not making the best cuts, and everything right. might be a little bit off. It's just like I could never last in a kitchen where, you know, everything has to be brunoised. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if, if uh, the the 
this the cut isn't perfect or if I haven't cooked something absolutely perfectly, yeah. I'm, I'm out the door. Right. I wouldn't have lasted like that. Nor I, would I'm, you want to, it sounds like. No. Like that's who you are. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think all, all of this just kind of has become a common pattern. That's very interesting. Now, what about, is there, I just, before we kind of lose it yeah. too far in the rearview mirror, the gymnast thing, do you... It seems to me that there are correlations between that hmm. and cooking. Do you ever? Did you ever connect anything, or is that? Am I being too precious about it? I mean, it's it's physical, first of all, physical, obviously, discipline, hard work. But it's also in its own way expressive. Expressive, re- repetitive. Yeah. Uh, you you don't you don't um, you don't learn to do the next thing until you perfect the first thing. Yeah. Right. So, and again, I think I was never. I was never the best at X, Y, and Z, but I was always really good. Right. And so um, I had certain skills that, that I was very good at, um, but maybe the, the other side of that skill I wasn't good at. Mm-hmm. And so so the same thing with the food. Right. Like there's certain things I think I'm very good at, right. and, I, and yet I wouldn't hold a candle to uh, some of these amazing chefs out there that are way more creative and, and involved and know, you know tons more than I do. Right. I mean, I watch some of these kids today, and it's like, it's amazing. Kids in kitchens. You don't mean like kids on TV. You mean like younger cooks. No, I, mean, I mean like the, the new up-and-coming yeah. chefs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, but you seem very, I mean, you're saying this almost in a self-deprecating way, but you seem, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to be a chef, right? And there's all kinds of styles of food. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you're, I mean, until what, 20 years? I mean, who in Italy would be any different from what you're describing yourself as? Yeah. I I mean, I... I I, mean, right? Yeah. I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel in anything I do. Yeah. I'm I'm literally, and and this is... I think the funny part that you'd said, I don't seem like a front of the house guy. I'm, I'm more concerned with just making people happy. Right. And if it's the food or the experience or the wine, I don't, I don't really care. Yeah. I want them all to be good, but I don't really yeah. care what blew somebody's mind or what made them happy. Yeah. You know, I got a, a text from a customer the other day that lives upstairs and they came in and had a great meal and decided to email us to tell us that. And yeah. I wrote back saying, it's awesome. Here's my number. Right. Feel free to reach out. Yeah. And he wrote back saying, we're actually sitting at the bar again tonight because it was so good. Oh, wow. And, you know, ha- made his comments about how people were taking care of him, et cetera. And it's just, that's what I want. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, the, the, the awards, the, um, the recognition is less important today than just, Making people happy, and right. filling a restaurant, and yes, yeah, well, employing, sure. that. <laughs> employing, you know, uh, a number of people Several that need dozen jobs. People, yeah. yeah. What? Uh, it's interesting though. Like what you, the way you just said what you said, it also seems to me, certainly when you were coming up, that seems to me like a distinctly East Coast distinction you were making between someone mm-hmm. who could do the perfect brunoise mm-hmm. and someone who has no interest. I mean, if you'd come up in the Bay Area. Would that have even been something that you would think of? Probably I don't, not. I don't Probably know. not. I mean, it's such a technique-focused community here. I think. I mean, always. Yeah. yeah I, I. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so, how did you, having already gone to school, how did you pursue cooking? Getting better at just forget uh, getting to a point where you could create on your own, but d- just the fundamentals, the craft. 
So um spent my time off in the kitchen just learning a little bit. And at one point, Mike Romano said, you know, do you want a job in the kitchen? Yeah. For people who don't know, Mike Romano used to be, for years, he was the second chef at the Union Square Cafe mm-hmm. and was there for forever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's who you were working in the that, kitchen there for. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so he offered me this job and I... And I I was a prep cook, uh, making eight ninety an hour. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Working with um, a fully Spanish crew, and I didn't speak word, one word of Spanish. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a little bit now, kind of like a jump from where I was before. I was like working next to sous chef, yeah. doing some prep projects, helping to cook out, learning a little bit, and now I'm just peeling potatoes and yeah. slicing the the chips and cutting calamari. Um, so all of a sudden, I started to now sort of second guess it like is is this the right thing for me i mean i went to college uh to to learn to run restaurants not to slice potatoes yeah um but i at the same token i really enjoyed the physical labor of it Mm -hmm. i i enjoyed what i was learning um and within three or four months i think it was um, he offered me a different kind of preposition where then I was making some of the fresh pastas, okay. um, which I started to fall in love with. Yeah. Um, and really started to see the benefits of creating, learning a skill and, and using that skill to create something day in and day out and really look at it and say, my ravioli isn't as good as the other guys. And, and right. I'm taking too long and things like that. And so you were self, you were able to analyze yourself in yeah. that way, evaluate. Yeah. You were able to kind of see yourself from the outside and recognize what needed work. Yeah, in and, a clinical way. And certainly, if I wasn't, somebody else was pointing it out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a less clinical way. Yeah, uh, but no, they they were. You know, I I. It's amazing. I look back and. Um, so quickly, I, I I moved up. Yeah. Um, and I moved from one station to the next. Yeah. And. I look back at this crew and I can think about um, these guys that I was cooking next to, uh, guys and girls, um, Juliet Pope, who yep. I worked with on pasta and she became you know, the, the wine master at, at uh, Gramercy Tavern. Gramercy Tavern. Yep. Um, I worked next to this guy, Terry Hardwood, who at that time had just been an executive chef and decided to take a break and just line cook. Yeah. I worked next to another guy who... Um, Chris DeLuna, who's now one of the executive chefs for um, Restaurant Associates, uh-huh. uh, running a number of their restaurants. Yeah. And again, he had been a sous chef, but decided to take a, a step back and just line cook. I worked with um, Scott Frantangelo, who owns a restaurant in Ardsley, right. um, who's owned a couple of restaurants now. And I mean, this crew is amazing. Yeah. And they were also, as much as they were happy to beat me up, they were also generous with with the knowledge and the, and, right. and the time. And I mean, we... There was certainly stuff back then that wouldn't fly today in a HR perspective of, you know, yelling yes. at each other. And, right. And they were certainly, you know, times when it was obvious that they would sort of say, you suck, you need a lot of work. Right. But they were also happy to build me up and, and if They and could help see me. that you were trying. They exactly. were willing to invest in you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I owe a lot to those guys and the, and the sous chefs at that time. Um, Kenny Callahan, who then became the chef of Blue Smoke, uh-huh. opened Blue Smoke. It's amazing. Um, there were a number of incredible people back then. So started working my way up in the kitchen. Um, spent about two and a half years there. And um, still questioned, was this the path? Yeah. What did I want to do? Um, and right around that time, uh, Floyd Cardoz was 
on board, getting ready to open Tabla. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was working at a Union Square Cafe's kitchen, doing recipe testing. And, and Tabla was going to be an Indian restaurant. Indian-inspired American restaurant. Okay, sorry. Um, no. <laughs> uh, but that was a that was a, a two-level, two-floor restaurant. Yeah. The upstairs was sort of more know, fine dining, yep. or you know, and and the downstairs. upstairs was really the American version. It was it was the it was that Amer- Indian-inspired American right. food. It was you know Floyd had worked with great Kunz at Las Banas, and it was this this you know very high-end fi- fine-level dining with right. all this Indian inspiration. Right, coursed out. Yep. And then downstairs was what they called the bread bar, yep. and that was more casual. And that was one of the first places I ever remember going where they said the food comes out as it's ready from mm-hmm. the kitchen. Mm-hmm. It might be the first restaurant at that level that I remember hearing that. Yeah. Anyway. So that was Tabla. That, so that was Tabla. And yeah. so um, Floyd was, was doing some recipe testing and kind of much like anybody in this situation, helping out mm-hmm. in Union Square. Yeah. And uh, I remember kind of hitting it off with him early on, um, became very friendly and um, without you know, poaching me by any means when the time was ready for Tabla to open, he said, I'd love for you to come with me. Um, and I went over to Tabla um, in September of, I don't know, probably 1998, I think it was. It was right before we opened. Yeah. Um, and we were supposed to open then, and it got delayed, um, I think, probably two months. Um, and it gave me an opportunity to, to do more recipe testing with them and be the only cook that they had hired at that time. Mm. So it was me and all the sous chefs and, and, and Floyd, and really, like, you know, educational experience and being the young cook, watching all these guys put these dishes together and right. get ready to open a restaurant um, was inspiring. Like now I was, I think I really had the bug. I was like, all right, yeah. Yeah, forget I, all the other things. You know, it's interesting to me because I would think that, please tell me if I'm wrong, but it would seem to me that you had this background, you know, you were kind of interested in things that would fall under the umbrella of like engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like to put things together and take them apart you did this project uh, in school where you kind of designed, you know, a fictional restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, you come into Union Square Cafe at a time where it's already an institution, mm-hmm. right? But then with Floyd, you're actually seeing something, you just said, you know, coming together, mm-hmm. being created. Um, you're watching it go through the assembly line process. Mm-hmm. It seemed, It would seem to me that this would sort of take restaurants to a different place for you Mentally, does that make sense? That seeing a thing come together would appeal to you in a way that maybe it hadn't quite before. Seeing dishes be created instead of like, let's see, iconic tuna burger right. on the lunch right. menu that's right. that's been there forever, and now we're, I'm cooking it, and that's satisfying. But maybe it doesn't turn me on the way I something would have to happen for me to be that interested. Does this make sense? Is yeah, this, is this I, accurate? Yeah, I th- I think this really started. Um, the need for me to know as much as possible about the restaurant. Uh Meaning when I was a host at Union Square, I started to get exposed to things that were going on in the whole restaurant. Yeah. When I started as a prep cook, I then started to learn everything from the ground up. Yeah. So when I was a line cook and somebody new came in, uh, I was the guy that knew where the hot water heater was. I was the guy that knew where the light switches were. I was the guy that knew how to cut the calamari and where it was. The new cook didn't. 
And so I started to get really excited about that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So then at Tabla, again, it was like I knew where the panels were. I right. knew where the, the shutoffs were. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I had seen this thing. I mean, I literally walked in. I don't know if you remember the, the documentary uh, that they did on Danny. Um, yeah. And they show a, a phase of construction where yeah. it's like, you know, scaffolding and everything. And I walked in and to, to meet with Floyd, I had to go in through 11 Madison Park, uh-huh. up a set of scaffolding, yeah. literally a, through a tower of scaffolding, into the private dining of 11 Madison Park, through the back hallway, over into Tabla, yeah. down the stairs yeah. to meet with him. Right. I mean, that was like the maze. Yeah. And so, it's like walking through a schematic. Exactly. But it was really, it was really fun that then when the place was open, it's like, well, I saw all of this come together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that while I still questioned everything that I was doing, I think it definitely started to firm up the need to create something from start to finish. Yeah. Um, both in, in the food, but more sure. in terms of the restaurant. Yeah. Um, so I worked my way through the, the line at, at Tabla, uh, went downstairs to the bread bar, uh, and I remember, you know, bread bar food was great. Um, it really had a great feel to it, great vibe. Uh, but for me, it was like I, I, I wanted something a little different. And I remember talking with, with Floyd and kept talking about Chinese food and um, that sense of family style, sharing, it comes as it's ready, Um, really kind of like authentic, good, flavorful food. Yeah. Uh, And again, the the bread bar had been really amazing uh, in terms of everything they were producing. And it it was definitely more Indian than than upstairs. But I felt like we were missing something. And, you know, I know he felt the same way. And as we start working on things, I think things transformed a little bit more to the, the menu it had become at the end, which was this really authentic. This was this was a place to get all the food that Floyd grew up with. Yeah. And his mom made and his wife made. And and it wasn't it wasn't a, a variation of it. Yeah. It wasn't a modernized variation. It was the actual, you know, street food dish uh, from Bombay. Yeah. But using American ingredients using farm ingredients, you know, Union Square Farmers Market mm-hmm. ingredients, um, maybe toning it down, maybe making it just slightly Americanized so it it, it was a little more approachable, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and so now all of a sudden I was learning this this whole new style of food, this culture. And, yeah. um, you know, his wife would come in and we'd be talking about something and I would go to him the next day and say, can we make this? Or I would go to his house for, you know, he'd do these... Um, Memorial Day picnics, and, yes. and again, it was very authentic. Yeah, uh, and I'm like, that that needs to go on the menu tomorrow. Yeah, and, and I started really get excited by that part of the food. Uh huh. Um, because I've never, and it's the one thing I think in in my career in general that I'm missing is um, culture playing a part in the food. So you know, um, for example, Jean Georges obviously has incredible. Alsatian culture, yeah, French food, German food, yeah, um, that he brings to the to the yeah. table. Uh, Danielle, same thing, right? Um, 
Mario Batali. Yeah. I mean, incredible Italian culture. Yeah. Uh, Eric Repair. I mean, you, you name it, right? Yeah. All these guys. Incredible culture that they can apply to the food. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it could be their grandmother's favorite meatballs. It could be, uh, I remember Floyd making this dish that um, was endive wrapped in ham. Uh, not Floyd, sorry. Uh, I remember Jean-Georges making this dish that was endive wrapped in ham, baked in bechamel sauce. Right. And uh, we had on the menu when we opened ABC. And this was something he grew up with. Yeah. yeah. I really have that. I have you know, right. lemon chicken, uh, <laughs> whatever it was. I mean, I, I had very basic stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I really started to latch on to this idea of the Indian culture playing a part in the food. Um, and so it just, it just helped motivate me. And it was yeah. really an exciting time. Um, and I worked my way up there. I spent um, seven years there. Yeah, you uh, rose all the way up to chef de cuisine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it's interesting. You, by virtue of being with that company and being uh, so close to the, you mentioned the the, the market at Union mm-hmm. Square, the farmers market there. Um, it really seems like that. You know, it's funny. Who knows what chef you might have become if you had started. In Midtown, you know, uh, it's it's really interesting. It really seems like those two jobs, you know, the place of vegetables in Indian cuisine um, and the place of the market in both those restaurants, um, really coming along when you were literally learning your craft. I mean, yeah. it would seem to me like those things are, it's almost like a double helix. Like those things are very intertwined in your development. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you almost didn't have a choice in the matter. I don't think I really had a choice, and I and I constantly look at it as, you know, people say it's not luck and and stuff like that. I I was lucky. Yeah. I mean, had I not met Danny, right. you know, the, the the movie Sliding Doors. Yeah. Right. I I well, love that analogy of yeah. You know, if if she didn't get on the train, right. or she did get on the train, and and I shudder to think what I would be doing today. Yeah. If. I hadn't met Leon Jeanette, if I hadn't met Danny, if yeah. I hadn't gotten that, if I hadn't ended up at Tabla, if, yeah. if, I mean, and even the negative things that happened through my career or my life, yeah. they, luck, here? they luckily have put me to the next yeah. path. You know, it's so funny. I, uh, I used to have a job in public relations. I was trying to be a screenwriter and I hated doing public relations, but I happened to work for the best restaurant PR firm in the country years ago, a guy named David Kratz, who's mm-hmm. not in the business anymore. We represented everybody. Mike, one of my clients was Alfred Portali. Mm-hmm. I ended up writing the Gotham book as a mm-hmm. one-off because we had a great relationship. That became my career. My wife worked at that agency. So that's how I met my wife, yep. <laughs> right? Even though I hated PR. I yep. mean, I was just there for the, literally just there for the paycheck mm-hmm. and, uh, and didn't know anything about restaurants before that job, you know? And it's amazing. It is amazing. You know, I, I shudder to think where I would be today if those things didn't work. Yeah. And and I look at so many people and, and almost sort of feel bad. Have they been able to have that same experience? Yes. You know, I mean, I met my wife through Tabla. There you go. It's uh, amazing. You know, if, if I didn't work at Tabla, I, who knows where I would be. But don't you feel like, I feel like half of it is that, is, yeah. is that luck piece. But I think the other half of it is, is having the ability to recognize those moments mm-hmm. to recognize, right? I mean, there's stuff happening to us every day yeah. to kind of go, oh, this is this kind of is interesting to me. Maybe I'll pursue yeah. this. I yeah. think a lot of people just, they're so on this kind of preordained path, mm-hmm. you know, um, that they don't stop. They don't recognize that sort of pull, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that maybe would turn their, spin their life in another direction. Yeah. And I, I 
I also, I guess, I credit my my parents, especially my father, to a lot of those decisions. They I mean, encouraged it. They encouraged it, but also I I relied on them, or I I respected their opinion. Sure. And, um, you know, I would I would go and say, hey, these are these are my two options right now. What yeah. do you think? And I, I obviously it was always my decision, but I think my father was always good about helping me think things through. Yes. Um, you know, at one point. Um, so I think I I guess somewhere around mid tabla. Yeah. Um, I met with uh, Richard Crane, who was one of Danny's partners, yeah. and we talked about. You know, it was it time for me to move on? And there, and there were a few different opportunities. And I don't remember exactly when it was, but there are a few different opportunities. And, and uh, I wasn't 100% happy at that point in time. Didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. But for whatever reason, I ended up sticking with Tabla. Yeah. Um, and, you know, spent my time there. It was time to move on. Um, and Floyd happened to bump into Calicchio in the street, Tom Calicchio. Yeah. Um, literally bumped into him in the street, and um, my name came up, and Tom said, oh, tell him to come see me. And went to go see Tom literally, like, you know, probably the next day. Yeah. Tom said, I got uh, something going on with witchcraft. I got, forget what the other thing was. Yes. And I got this job at a private club. Uh, I don't know if it's your kind of thing, and we talked through it. Um and it seemed really exciting. And it was this private club in Midtown called the Court Club. I'm going to do a perfect to be continued right sure. there. Because that's probably something I told you when we sat down. I had never heard yeah. of yeah. the Court Club before I was getting ready to talk to you. Uh, so let's do a quick break. Sure. And when we come back, we'll get into that. And then we have to get to the two restaurants most people know you from. Yeah. Uh, uh, ABC <laughs> and um, and Loring Place, of course, which is your current restaurant. We are talking with Chef Dan Kluger of New York City's Loring Place. We're talking in Westchester County in my dining room. And before we go to break, I do want to remind people, if you would like to follow the show, we are on Instagram and Twitter, at Chef Podcast is the handle. That's at Chef Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you'd like to leave us a rating, which is quick, or a review, which is a little more time-consuming, but I'd love you for it, it does help people find the show, and we'd really appreciate it. And we'll be right back after this break. My theme song and break music is from After School Special's album, Double Barrel, Single Entendre, which is available on iTunes. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hearst Ranch. 
And we are back with Chef Dan Kluger of Loring Place Restaurant in New York City. So, Dan, we kind of abruptly stopped when you mm-hmm. introduced the Core Club. Mm-hmm. What was the Core Club? So the Core Club was a private membership club in Midtown um, founded by uh, this woman, Jenny Saunders. Okay. Um, she had this idea to do this, this membership club and really um, sort of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, very high net worth members. Uh, but I think for me, one of the attractive, sorry, for me, one of the things that I think was really interesting about the way she positioned it and, and created it was um, there was a lot of um, cultural programming uh-huh. based around the club. You mean speakers uh, and things so like speakers, that? Speakers. Guest authors. And-, and, and they had... They had the connections. So yeah. when it was time um, for the Oscars, right before the Oscars, they would start screening. They had a huge screening room. They'd yeah. start screening all the movies yes. that were being nominated Amazing. and bring the directors in oh my to talk about them. To what size audience? This sounds like it was probably 50, intimate. 50, yeah. 60 people. Amazing. Um, so, and, and she was, I mean, she's um, an amazing, driven um, crazy, frenetic uh, person uh, who I I really hit it off with. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we would be texting each other at two o'clock in the morning about things to do at the club. I really, That's great. I, I, you know, I opened it uh, much like we talked about before, being able to see something built, yeah. um, start to finish. I what? wasn't involved with the the design of it. Yeah, I was involved with the design of the kitchen. I was, uh, you know, that was basically done. But Tom and I kind of worked through some things. I I bought everything for it. Um, you know, really did as as much as I could, sort of at that point in time, yeah. in terms of designing something. Um, and I really uh, was excited by the project. And so I think her passion for the project and my passion were just feeding off each other. Was there a style of cuisine there, or did it change based on who was there in a given day? And, I mean, it sounds like a fairly, uh, sounds like a customer base that's probably used to getting what they want. Um, but was there a set menu? Was there, like, a kind of a base menu that you helped conceptualize yep. and have in place? How? Did, what was that like? So I think um, it was it was a set menu, and, you know, Tom and I were very um, aligned in that we wanted it to not be a country club. Uh-huh. Um, and we didn't. We, we wanted to stick to seasonality. Yeah. Uh, farmers as much as possible. Um, being very product-related, um, much like Kraft was at the time. Yeah. Uh, Kraft Bar. Uh, Gramercy, even. Yeah. Um, you guys seem very... I never thought of this before because I didn't know you'd had this job. Yeah. But you guys seem super compatible to me from a culinary yeah, I think viewpoint. So. I think, you know, I, if I... Especially when I think back, um, you know, when I worked at Union Square and Tabla, um, you, you got uh, a monthly dining allowance to go eat at one uh-huh, of the restaurants sure. in the group. Yeah. Um, I forget what what we called it, um, but I mean, I think in my ten years in the company, I ate at Gramercy Tavern fifty, sixty times. Really, more than any other restaurant. Did in my you life. eat more in the tavern room or more in the main dining room? Both, but uh-huh. but but probably probably almost equal. Uh huh. Um, and I think back to some of those meals in the main dining room, 
and that approach to food. And I can remember things like, you know, um, roasted scallops with, with a little bit of vanilla and salsify uh, and sauterne. And I think about how he coerced the flavors, but very simply. Yes. Um, this pork belly with just a little bit of mustard. And I mean, just so many things I can, I can remember. Yeah. Um, and they were just so like, you know, sort of in your face, this is the flavor. Yes. Eat it and move on. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. And I think that definitely, and then the, the little bit of time that I spent with him, um, because he basically helped open it and then um, he was consulting on it and kind of moved away within the first year. Yeah. Um, his contract was up. Yeah. But I think that time with, with him, I spent time at Gramercy. I ten, spent some time at Kraft, uh, much like Floyd did when he was at Union Square Cafe. Yeah. Um, and so I think that time there really helped uh, open my eyes to some other techniques and some other ways of, of again, coercing flavor out of ingredients. But it seems to me like this, was this, am I right to think that this would be sort of the um, pivot point for you from a creative standpoint and that mm-hmm. you started to understand who you were going to be as a chef? Yeah. So this, this um, it forced me um, to create a menu yeah. on paper Yes. Um, and really think about ingredients I liked and, and things I wanted. And, and, you know, I started with looking in some of my favorite books, uh, Alfred Portal's book. Oh, thank um, you very much. I, I remember <laughs> it laid out on the... The first one. Yep. The Gotham book. Yep. Thanks. I remember it laid out in the, uh, in, in my dining room, ta- on my dining room table, along with a whole bunch of other ones and thinking about things like what, what spoke to me, what, what, yeah. what inspired me. Yeah. Um, so I created this menu and, uh, you know, it was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. So it was, it was a big change. Yeah. Um, but it was about trying to make really good, simple, like best of the best kind of food. Yeah. Um, and catering to this group of people that, much like you said, are used to getting what they want. And the menu definitely modified itself to meet some of that. Yeah. But we really set out to create great food in a restaurant that wanted to be a restaurant, not a yeah. country club. Right. Um, so I, I think um, it's certainly over the four and a half years I think I was there it certainly took some inspiration from from things that members wanted yeah um you know I remember kind of fighting the turkey club sandwich and and the chef salad and things like that um but then realizing okay you know what's wrong with it I mean a turkey club sandwich is pretty damn good so let's just make the best one we can yeah so we bought the turkey roasted ourselves you know yada 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 and that becomes satisfying in its in its own way you know it's funny but you mentioned the burger uh the Gotham rather Mm -hmm. you know it's I was gonna say famously but probably it's only famous to me and Alfred but when they opened the Gotham the Gotham was open a year before Alfred came mm-hmm. in, and Jerry Kretschmer felt like the one of the owners uh, felt like you had to have a burger in New York, mm-hmm. right, on the mm-hmm. lunch menu. And Alfred did not want to do it, and eventually it was on the menu as Jerry's Burger. <laughs> and uh, but Alfred came to the same revelation. He said, "Well, you know what? I'm going to." This was before everyone mm-hmm. had their, a burger on the menu. This is you know in the '80s, yep. um, and you didn't come from stodging in France and want to have a burger on your menu. But he did the same. He sourced yep. the tomato and he yep. the lettuce and the beef. And same, it was same one thing. of the first like high-end burgers. And yep. then it became, oh, that's fine. Yep. Okay, fine. Yeah, I'd say same thing. I mean, yeah. fought the idea of a burger. And I think even Tom was like, no, we're not putting a burger on the menu. And 
It's like, all right, well, we got to put a burger on the menu. Like everybody's asking for it, and yeah. set out to make a great burger, made our own ketchup. I think we we found the best bacon we could find, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think we were baking the buns for it, and right. um, you know that was that was a little bit of like looking back at Union Square Cafe and the lessons that that taught me in terms of just making good, approachable food. Right. Um, but I think one of the things that also really helped shape me as a chef was now I was managing a crew. Yes, I was. I mean, I'd, I'd managed a crew at that point for already, I think, four or five years. But I was managing them in the sense that I had to find everybody myself. I, I was in a private club that, yeah. you know, it was hard to get people to even walk in the door. It's not sexy. Nothing sexy about it. I mean, no. luckily I was able to pay a dollar more than probably the average restaurant. But yeah. I didn't have, I didn't have uh, you know, Danny Meyer. I didn't have Floyd Cardo. I didn't have a name. Yes. To, to help at that point nobody knew who I was yeah you guys um, weren't going to get reviewed exactly yeah so it was it was definitely a struggle um but I will say I mean I ended up finding some amazing people uh I really lucked out uh I liked the challenge of of taking a young green cook and building them up and um Karen Shu, who's one of my chef's cuisines and Seth Seligman who's also one of my chef's cuisines both worked for me there back That's in 2005 amazing. that is so great they both started as line cooks and worked their way up and they come with you to ABC as well uh, they came with me to That's ABC it's amazing yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there are a few people that, that you know I still I've seen their careers move on and, and to think that we just worked in this little private membership club right. um, but I think the other thing that really helped me with was um, essentially there was no budget Right, I didn't. Yes, people were worried about money, but nobody's watching over me like, oh, you're you know half a point high on your food cost. Oh, you mean there was no budget as in there? I thought you meant there wasn't a lot of money to spend. You no, meant there no. was no there was defined the, budget. Yeah. So yeah. I all of a sudden we'll let you know when you go over. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, just make sure you're making money. Yeah. Um, which we were. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know. I made a breakfast menu, a lunch menu, and a dinner menu. I started making hors d'oeuvre menus. I started making special menus for events. I got the ability to, like, you know, buy white truffles and black truffles and do whatever I wanted with them and teach myself about yes. how these things worked flavor profile wise with other right. things because I hadn't been exposed to that. I'd yeah. never, I, I mean, I'd never used a truffle really. I mean, right. I think we did maybe two dishes at Tabla with, with black truffles. Yeah. Um, but now was the opportunity to do these things yeah. and, and buy, you know, langoustines imported from France and things that I didn't go crazy, but I got the opportunity to see things I hadn't seen. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was as as a chef, uh, I was incredibly fortunate because again, I didn't I didn't travel to France, I didn't travel to Italy, I I didn't have this culture, I wasn't exposed to um, classic French food, I didn't work at at uh, Le Bernardin, yeah. uh, I didn't work at Danielle, yeah. So. Now I was able to start playing with some of these things and some of these techniques that yes. they maybe had done yeah. uh, that, that a young cook there got to use. I was teaching myself. Sure. And all along I'd been teaching myself. Sure. I mean, I, I, you brought up Charlie Trotter before. I used, to, I used to read those books like the Bible. I mean, I'd go home every night and I was reading Charlie Trotter, Charlie Palmer, uh, Alfred Portal. Uh, I, I went through La Russe Gastronomique. Yeah, you know, front to back. Did you really? Yeah, Escoffier. I mean, I just I would read these things. I'd go home every yeah. night and read. It's amazing. Um, and that's how I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And so now I start to apply these things. I really got to play around for the first time in my in my career, and um, 
yet we we were still very adamant that we wouldn't just throw things out to people. You know, you couldn't just make something and 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 put it on a table for. They somebody. were not your guinea pigs. Your yeah. customers. You had to yeah. hone something first. Exactly. But you had the ability to do new things. You know, it's funny. I a lot of chefs I know. I mean, now a lot of people tend to go to it after they've even been chefs. But mm-hmm. uh, at the time you came up, I know for a lot of people that. Uh, Sometimes, you know, private chefing was a gap yeah, job. Yeah. Uh, Tom Valenti, I remember, told me, uh, you know, that one of the most impactful years of his development, maybe two years, was when he uh, was a private chef, and the only instruction he was given by the guy he worked for was he didn't want to have the same meal twice, mm-hmm. right? So t- Tom, things were not perfected the way you yeah. did them, but he had the ability to sort of screw around, right. to try new stuff, right. to and, and it helped him figure out who the hell he was yeah. as a chef. And because people were eating there, I mean, this is a place where people ate lunch, you know, four times a week sometimes. Yes. Um, and so because that, I, I did have to change the menu a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think people expected, and I allowed, while, again, it was it was very ingredient-centric and it was very American in its sense, I allowed the Asian influence, the Indian influence, all these different things, because I knew... You know, people wanted variation. Yeah. And so I, I started to really, I think, venture out and, yes. and define a style, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about a little more in, in the new restaurant. But yeah. I really I really got to play and, and find a voice. Yes. And at times, I'm sure it was muddled and it was crap. Yeah. Um, but, but that's I, part of the process. It's part of the process. Growing pains. Yeah. How do you define your style? Like, let's transition, because we don't have a ton yeah. of time left. Let's yeah. transition now to to ABC yep. and to Loring Place. Um, how do you, what, do you define your own style? Or it's, is that something that no, your PR I mean, people have to do? <laughs> it's it's just, it's always been just seasonal American, right. right? That's what I've been doing, again, since the time at the Core Club, which is the first time where I can say my style, right? Uh-huh. Seasonal American. Yeah. You know. Tabla was seasonal Indian inspired American food. Right. Union Square Cafe was seasonal American with an Italian Mediterranean twist, I think you'd probably say. Yeah. I mean, if, if you. Maybe if, a sprinkle of California, but yeah. California. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there was Asian. I mean, it yeah. was, yeah, yeah, it was a mix. Yeah. So um, I just look at it as, as seasonal American. Um, but I think now with, with the new restaurant, um, it's still seasonal American. I think I've, I've found more focus on things from my childhood or things that have come up through my time cooking in New York that I didn't realize. So you're talking about Loring Place, in first Loring of Place, all. Yeah. Okay, so we're yeah. going to fast forward over yeah. ABCV. But so, I mean, or sorry, ABC Kitchen. But you, that to me, that was when I, I mean, like a lot of people, because yeah. I didn't go to this private club. That's no, when I, I first became aware of you. I remember the first time I went there, um, uh, and I just remember being blown away. Yeah. I just remember being blown away by the the, the, the sort of the purity of it, yeah. by um, the 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 bigness of the flavor, mm-hmm. by the how vivid the flavors were, and by how satisfying uh, so many vegetables yeah. <laughs> could be. I mean, it was one of the places where I really feel like I first had that. There's a lot more restaurants now with that kind of focus mm-hmm. in New York, but. Um, it was a real revelation to me. I loved mm-hmm. that restaurant. Um, 
But, too. <laughs> but how do you, um, and we should say that was under the auspices of Jean-Georges. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I, again, you talk about the, the sliding doors effect. Right. I lucked out. I mean, I, I literally was at the farmer's market while I was working at the court club. Yeah. And I was at Buried Treasures. And uh-huh. Franca says to me, I'm carrying all this crap. And Franca yeah. just happens to say, oh, do you know Jean-Georges? And, he's and just, I'm like, yeah, of course I know right. Jean-Georges, but he doesn't know who I am. Right. <laughs> And so we, we talked for a quick minute, and I you know, had the introduction, told him who I was, and he had heard the core club because his business partner, Phil Suarez, was a member. Uh-huh. And I'd, I'd met Phil a couple times, but you know, that really had nothing to do with how I ended up where I ended up. Yeah. Um, but we, we talked for a few minutes, and he, again, you know, kind of said, well, what's your next step? And I uh, said, I'm looking for the next right move. You know, who knows? He said, well, come talk to us. And I called the next day and set up a meeting, and uh, I met with them. Uh, his his corporate chef was really kind of his right hand. Is this Dan um, DeVecchio? No, Greg Brainin. Oh, so Dan, okay. Dan DeVecchio ended up hiring me okay. for the Mark Hotel. Okay. Uh, Greg Brainin was was not part of Culinary Concepts, which was the other part of Sean George. Got it. Uh, but Greg Brainin and I talked first, um, and he said, you know, we got a couple things. And um, one was, he didn't say the name, but basically the style was ABC Kitchen. Yeah. Um, and then when we kind of started to firm things up. Unfortunately, ABC Kitchen was not happening at that point in time. And so I ended up going to Culinary Concepts with Dan Del Vecchio to um, open the Mark Hotel, which was delayed. Uh, And I got to travel around with Culinary Concepts and Jean-Georges for um, about a year. Um, And I opened uh, Atlanta, Arizona, Utah, D.C., a bunch of restaurants with them. And so I started to see, you know, this this process of opening restaurants in in a very more organized uh, method than I had seen before. Sure. Um, and I got to see a lot in terms of the, the Jean-Georges operation and um, you know how, how he ran his restaurants and um, you know it was, it, was, it was great. And so then the Mark Hotel started to pick up speed and right when we got room service up and running, ABC Kitchen came online came online and they said, you know this really sounds like it's what you want to do. Uh, yeah. It's it's very in line with what what you do, and I said yep. And so I moved over, and um, it was again everything happens for a reason, perfect timing. Vong yeah. was closing. The chef Pierre from Vong yeah. came into the mark as I was leaving. I mean, literally within days, everything worked out. But you know, you you and I never sat before. You've been very modest in this, and you know the way you talked about like your technique and mm-hmm. you know your comments about you know Brunoise earlier in this interview. There are not a lot of people who have worked with Jean George who get the kind of spotlight that you had under him. There mm-hmm. must be a reason for that. I mean, I think there's other talented people. There's did, did you guys just have a great relationship? Did he take I, a liking to you? Did I think he, we had a great relationship, and I think it was. I think you said something about the restaurant earlier. I mean, it was right place, right time. You know, just yeah. That. But I think I'm not just <laughs> seriously. I mean, John George, I think is a real gentleman, and a, I think he's a great yeah. guy. And but you know, he. It's usually a John George. I mean, how many people listening to this could tell you who was the chef at any number of places? Right. You know, they can't name his yeah. chefs, but you were very known at that restaurant. I, I, I think you should be. I don't know. I think you should feel very good. I don't know what that was about, but he clearly thought there was something special about you. I, I think he was um, very willing to help promote me in yeah. the sense that yeah. I think he didn't um, 
he didn't want me to hide. Yeah. I think you were again, very visible there. But going back to one of your early comments about the front of the house, yeah. I think this this speaks to it. Like, mm, that's I didn't, interesting. I, you know, I looked at this as, and I never looked at it as how do I make this about me, but I looked at it as you know if, if we're gonna create a restaurant, let's make. The whole experience really great. Yes, and so I did want to be involved with the, yes. the front of the house, and I yeah. and you know he would say, "Go say hello to this person. Mm-hmm. Let me introduce you." And, and I always I always did that whether he was there or not. And I think that's part of the reason why you know I started to create these relation, relationships, and people started to know yeah. who I was. Yeah, it um, uh, again strangely, and I hadn't really thought about it, but just as you know, you, I think, were very compatible with Colicchio mm-hmm. from a culinary standpoint. Strangely compatible with Jean George. No? Yeah. Because for I, all of his technique, you know, he's got a three-star Michelin flagship restaurant, mm-hmm. and that implies a lot of technique and precision and all that, you know, where you're sort of more rustic. Mm-hmm. But he also, I've always felt, because of his gift for flavor combinations and mm-hmm. surprise, in a good way, not mm-hmm. in a weird, mm-hmm. wacky way, especially when he first came on the scene and he was doing things that just people hadn't seen and the way he uses acid and yeah. that there is a fundamental simplicity, I feel like, to a lot of what he does. Yeah. Um, and that seems to me to be, right in, again, right in line with what you do. Not exactly the same as what you do, but compatible. I, I think very compatible. And I, I, you know, I give a lot of that credit back to my time with Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know, this... this um, Education of balancing sweet, sour, salty, spicy yeah. textures. I mean, yeah. Floyd was look at Greg Kunz's cookbook. It's all about those things, and and Floyd was a big part of that. Right. So you know, I think uh, we, we joked before about Howard Stern, and I'll give you this opening. But this, by the way, for people during the break, <laughs> we were talking about Howard Stern's interviewing hmm. abilities because I made a comment to Dan that Howard Stern is my interviewing role model. Make of that what you will. I maintain <laughs> till I go to the grave that Howard Stern is maybe the best interviewer on certainly in a in an audible radio podcast setting. Anyway, yes. You know, the the thing that you don't want to talk about is I think mine is this whole, you know, if you go back and look at the reviews of Loring Place, everything was pretty much it was just like ABC. Mm. Well, of course. And and Jean-Georges certainly had his stamp on ABC 100%. Yeah. But but so did I. I mean, it's it's part of how I was cooking. It's it helped shape more of my cooking. Yeah. So I mean, you just brought up the compatibility. I was cooking that way at the core club with acid right. and and chilies and and you know hot sauces and things right. like that. Did my time at ABC help shape more? Of course. But you know, this is this seasonal American, this playful, you know, punch you in the face kind of food, but simple. Yes. Uh, has always been the way I've cooked. Yeah. And maybe at the core club it was more finesse. Maybe it was less finesse. I mean, right. you, you could you could question that. But I think this is the way I've been cooking, and, and every place I've been has helped shape that. Yeah. ABC was incredible in terms of, um, I think you, you talked about the simplicity of it, which is really important. Yeah. Um, there were dishes that, Certainly were not simple, but there were dishes that really were as simple as can be. I mean, right. tuna with a great sauce. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Beets with great yogurt. You know, but the, the, the yogurt was something that I wanted to make in-house from day one. Yeah. We made yogurt. We made creme fraiche. We made butter. Right. Those were things. You know, I had this whole idea of, you know, how do, how do we go back to the basics 
the ABCs. How do we go back to the basics well, of, of cooking and, and jams? I mean, I remember you go back to the court club. I remember having this argument with uh, an unknown, very, very wealthy man who basically told me I was an idiot because I wouldn't serve him you know, strawberry jam in the middle of winter. And I said, yeah. we don't have strawberry jam. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, we make the jam in-house, and I have orange marmalade, and I have this. He goes, you make the jam in-house? I said, yeah. He said, why the hell would you do that? I said, because it's better. Yeah. And I gave it to him, and he looked at me. He's like, all right, you right. win. right. I mean, yeah. th- there's nothing wrong with this. Because it was this. like taking a bite of sunshine in the middle of February. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I go back to this is, this is the way I've been cooking for a long time. So you feel like, just so people understand, when you said I said something about the question, I was telling you that a lot of times I come into interviews and I feel mm-hmm. like there's like the big question. Right, and right. you were saying that, what, the unasked big question here, or you're sort of the thing that... Yeah, the, the, you saved me the trouble of like probing. Yeah, but the, the, you feel a little bit what you feel like when the reviews happened for Loring Place that you were, there was a little you were a little undervalued. I don't know if I'd say undervalued, but it was it. There was a lot of. I mean, Adam Platt's review was pretty much. Well, it looks like ABC. It tastes like ABC. Right. I mean, you know. It, it, Where to you, it's more of there's this sort of. Uh, there's a know, similarity. Yeah, but you know, you're. It's funny. I I tried for ten minutes once to learn guitar, <laughs> and the guy, the instructor, made this analogy that you know, a song, uh, a good song, the writing, a, a well written song, it was like following an arrow to a bullseye, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's what a chef's career is like, right? So yeah. you're like you had a, you know, there was this arrow that got pulled back yeah. in the bow that was you know Union Square and, mm-hmm. and Tabla and then you the core club and then through Jean George and like you're kind of getting maybe you're at the bullseye now mm-hmm. with Loring Place which is finally you know your ambition of having your own place yeah there you are and ultimately like I said all, all I really want is for people to be happy right so if the bullseye is, is creating things that are similar to what I've done in the past right. wherever it's been yeah and those things worked, again, wherever they were, yeah. then I want to do that. Well, this is the catch-22, right? Yeah. Everyone's saying that they're kind of had it. This is this moment in time where people are sort of over the ego-driven chef. Mm-hmm. And right, and you're almost, you know, like what you're saying basically is you feel like you're a little bit penalized for not being more of an, what did Alan Richmond call it in that article years ago? Egotarian cuisine, <laughs> right? You don't practice that. Yeah. You, uh, and you said a minute ago, it's as simple as it can be. And I've always thought that uh, I've never been a chef or a professional cook, but, um, you know, as a diner and as someone who's thought about these things a lot, I feel like once you have a a clear idea of a dish, it's kind of like writing. Mm -hmm. That idea should be executed in the most simple way possible. Beyond that, why? You know, so like when you say something with a great sauce or beets with, you know, the yogurt or... That's a dish I happen to remember pretty vividly, yeah. you know. Um, right. That's I mean, what more do you need? It's funny, you know. I coined this term amongst friends of mine a couple of years ago. Somebody, oh gosh, it might have been Adam, <laughs> you know, they were doing their list of the best restaurants and they said something like, you know, they were talking about per se and they said, like, oh, you know, the salmon cones again and the so-and-so mm-hmm. again. And I coined this term, food writer problem. That's mm-hmm. a f- how many people are like, oh, per yeah. se again? Yeah. yeah. How many people have been to per se once? How many people could afford to go to per yeah. se once? I mean, I'm fortunate. I've been there a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. I can write it off. Maybe not anymore, but I used mm-hmm. to be able to write it off uh, <laughs> before the new tax plan. But... Um, uh, yeah, I'm total, I totally am with you. So what's the, we only have a couple of minutes yeah. here, but what's for you, 
you made a reference to this new element that you feel like has come into your food at Loring Place, mm-hmm. drawing on childhood stuff. So what's this, what's this latest evolution in your style? You know, I think um, I struggled... I struggled for it to not be ABC, right? I didn't want it to just be considered ABC. Um, and to me, ABC started to become a, a, an adjective. I mean, people would say, oh, that restaurant's like ABC. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of like ABC. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want it which to Which is be, a compliment. Which is an incredible compliment yeah. to, to them and, and obviously to my time there, yeah. um, which I'm grateful for. So I, I really struggle with, well, if I'm doing seasonal American food and I, and I want to do wood burning and I want to have pizzas and things, how do I make them different? And so um, through the whole process and, and through designing this, you know, again, I got my, this was jackpot. I designed every single thing. I yeah. mean, I, I got to choose every piece of wood, every paint color, every yeah. nut and bolt. I mean, we ripped this thing out. And so I was finally getting to do everything I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and so when I started to get back into thinking about the food, which was really kind of a struggle because I'd been out for a while, um, and I wasn't feeling incredibly inspired at that point in time, I started to think about what are these things, and, and my father had passed away um, during the process, mm-hmm. and um, I think it just kind of made me, I don't know what the right word is, it's kind of cliche, but almost like homesick, right? Yeah. Like I, I missed my I missed my father, I missed my family dinners, I missed... All of a sudden, I was like missing childhood. Like it yeah. made me think about all these things. Sure. And again, we didn't we didn't have culture really. And 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 while we would go out to eat from time to time, my father certainly wasn't like, oh, the best dumpling place is whatever, yeah. or the best um, you know the best uh, steakhouse or the best popover or whatever. There was there wasn't any of that. It was like yeah. let's just go out for this. Um. And so I, I uh, really started to think back to things that inspired me through my childhood. And, and you certainly see it a lot in the dessert menu. Um, like what? The, 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 we have a cupcake that's play on a hostess cupcake. We have a, that was I, something you ate as a kid. As a kid. I mean, like, mm-hmm. without, without a doubt. Um, we have a Sunday that um, is a play on an, a Dairy Queen Blizzard, which, again, was like <sighs> Blizzard. a treat. You now know? you're talking my language. Uh, we have a, a box of cookies, which again, I mean, we had cookies all the time. My mom was yeah. baking cookies. We had tins of cookies, all sorts of different kinds. Yeah. And so all those things started to play a part. And so I, I was able to do it really easily with the dessert menu. And then I started thinking about the rest of it. And I really just started to say, okay, well, I didn't have that culture. I didn't have that, you know, um, that upbringing where we we're going out to eat. And I can remember the, the first time I ever had duck or whatever right. it was. So I started to think more about, well, I've been cooking these things. I've been working in restaurants now for know, 15, 20 years. I've only worked in New York. What, what has been inspiring about New York? And what yeah. has been inspiring about these restaurants? And I really started to pull things from that. And, you know, we have a, a crispy cauliflower dish, which started as, as this thing that I remember, um, a cauliflower puree that Floyd had done um, with a piece of fish. And... It was nothing like this, but it just, I, I thought cauliflower and I thought Floyd and I thought about some spices I like. And then I thought about how would I turn that into a dish? And it became a dish of spiced, Indian spiced, crispy cauliflower with lemon. And Great. by no means is it, is it Indian, but it's this, this play on things that were exciting to me back then. Was there for you, like, it's funny, because you're saying these things, right? It sounds to me like this was the equivalent, like you talked about feeling like there was something missing at Bread Bar. 
mm-hmm. right? And then going to Floyd's mm-hmm. home and like, yeah. right? And then this personal connection happened and that's like this amazing sort of alchemy, which, you know, people in the dining room can never know, yeah. but it affects the way this food is cooked, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly, just even the way you're talking about it, the, the, these new things that have come together for you, and some of it for painful reasons, at Loring Place, there's this new layer there now. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were at ABC Kitchen, for all the accolade and success and everything else, mm-hmm. and for as much as... So I'm sitting in the dining room loving it. Mm-hmm. Are you in the kitchen in view of me <laughs> when I'm eating there? <laughs> were you there sensing there was something missing? Or was it something that you only perceive now in hindsight, that there was another gear? No, I don't... Does that I, make sense? Like, did I, you... I, this thing that you now have that you weren't really having, that didn't really exist for you before in the food, mm-hmm. did that... Did you feel that as some kind of a, a longing or some kind of a deficiency personally, or this is just to you part of evolving and getting deeper as a chef? No, I think what what inspired me at ABC was was just different things. It yeah. was it was of the time. It yeah. was, um, you know, it was certainly the food we were doing there. Um, if it was time to um, replace beans with squash it was okay what fits for this restaurant what right. fits within the model of what we were doing and then it was feeding off of jean George and greg i mean sure. it was do you like this dish no do we need to change it you know whatever it was yeah. there's nothing missing um and i and i i if you were watching me from the dining room i was extremely excited about all the food you we were doing you seemed really happy back there i was yeah i i would have been just as elated about you liking the dish that was 100% Jean-Georges, the 100% right. Greg, or the 100% me. Yeah. Ultimately, it was, it was a team it's effort. It's not an ego thing for no. you. Now You're on the wrong coast. <laughs> now it's all about how, how do I make it relatable? How do I right. sort of how do I tell a story? Like, again, you know, when, when I read those reviews and somebody wants to say something like, oh, it's just he's using jalapenos just like they did there. I was using jalapenos before. right. So, so what is my story to tell? What what yeah. is exciting to me, uh, and what what drives the food? And so I've you know I've looked back. Mm-hmm. I mean, the duck. Uh, I, I've again, I want it to be approachable. I want everything yeah. to be, uh, and that's something I've really learned. I think through the years, and and I think Jean George really hit on it. Was look, yeah, change the menu seasonally, but let's not constantly gut the menu because people right. are going to find things they like, yeah. and so. You know, duck is is seasonally available. We found a great you know a great source for it. So, I wanted to do something with duck, and I thought back to all the different places, and I thought back to things we did at at, at Tabla, and so I've kind of like put it a little bit of an approach of how we cook it that way. But I'm using the wood burning grill, and then I thought back to Union Square and the duck, which was cooked you know all the way through, and and it was a totally different product, but always had like a great seasonal chutney. Yeah. And I love that sweet, sour, fatty, and all those things yeah. that spoke to what I was doing. So, you know, I started to apply that to things. Yeah. I'm not making the chutney I made at, at, at um, no. Union Square. I'm not making right. the one I made at Tabla. But those things have inspired those decisions today. Well, and that's what it should be. I mean, Food is autobiography, isn't it? At some level. But it's also about learning. I mean, yeah, it's sure. got to, you know, I don't, I don't know how. I watch some, some people come out of, you know, culinary school and or not even culinary school yeah. they, they cook for a year and all of a sudden they're they're a chef 
running a restaurant, some of them are geniuses. It's sure. amazing, but I think part of it is the journey. Living, and you can you yeah. can do the journey by going to Italy or going to France or going to Spain or wherever it is and obviously benefit from that. Of course. You can do the journey by working at 12 different restaurants. Yes. I did my journey by, by putting in a lot of time at only a few restaurants, but really like sucking them dry for as much knowledge yeah. as I can. And, and you know, I'm constantly saying to cooks when I interview them, I say, you know, I expect a year commitment from you. Yeah. And I do that because I want, I want a little return on our investment. Totally. But also, I want you to see how one restaurant, one chef works with a season, you know, a full, full year's yeah. seasonal ingredients. Yeah. And ultimately, I really think you should do more than a year right. because I look back and I think about how, you know, I saw how Mike Romano, yes, some things were recycled, but some things were completely different. And, and he had a new inspiration. He'd just come back from Italy and he had a new inspiration for, for how to use fava beans. And I got to see how one chef used something twice. Well, or I don't know if this is true of Michael, but I, I know I've, you know... Uh, at some point, you know, okay, now it's time. It's spring again. We're going to put this on the menu and maybe just like a slight tweak to one element of it. But, and to, but it refines it. You know, Ridley Scott's made like, uh, there's like eight director's cuts of Blade Runner out there. I think that's what dishes are like. It's much less expensive with dishes. Yeah. But um, I feel like chefs have that opportunity. Like every year is the director's cut if they and, want it to be. And I think a young cook can really learn a lot from that. Sure. I think, you know, seeing how one person sees through through this dish you know and taking something from good to great to maybe that much better greater you know just like a hair greater yeah um great well it's been great talking to you You too thank you for coming to my My house (laughs) and uh we have obviously been talking with chef dan kluger dan's restaurant is loring place in new york city if you enjoyed his food before at abc kitchen you will enjoy the newest evolution of his food at Loring Place. And if you did not enjoy it there, you should go discover it. He's a great (laughs) chef, um, and you will remember the flavors for a long time. Dan, thanks again. Thank you. Great to see you. And that's our show. A big thanks to Dan Kluger for dropping by our humble abode in Hastings-on-Hudson, New York. Uh, Dan, it was great to spend some time with you and get the rest of your story. Obviously, I didn't know a lot of that stuff. And a reminder that if you would like to follow the show, we are at Chef Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also follow me personally at Tokeland Andrew. And if you'd like to leave us a review or a rating at Apple's iTunes store, we would appreciate it. And a reminder, my new book, Chef's Drugs and Rock and Roll, How Food Lovers, Free Spirits, Misfits and Wanderers Created a New American Profession, publishes just about four weeks from today on February 27th. It is currently available for pre-order. It's about the chefs of the 70s and 80s and how they created the chef profession in the United States, and I hope you'll check that out. Thanks for listening, and look forward to seeing you back here next week on Andrew Talks to Chefs.